You're listening to This Naked Mind with Annie Grace. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to This Naked Mind podcast, and I'm here with Susie. How are you, Susie? Hi, I am great, Annie. It is wonderful to connect with you. Oh, you too. So nice to see you. So why don't you sort of take us back um, to the beginning in your relationship with alcohol? Where did it all start for you? My relationship with alcohol um, really started with me doing it in terms of because everyone else was. Um, It wasn't modeled in my house. My parents never, I cannot remember my parents ever having a drink with dinner if it was just the five of us in the family. Like it wasn't something that was done. At times they would have cocktail parties and but it was very deliberate. Um, so alcohol was not a part of my life modeled for me growing up other than it was in the culture, which it was very much modeled. And so then when I became, I remember when I had my first beer, I was 16 and it was just this sort of like, well, everyone else is doing it. So, okay. It wasn't even a conscious thought, which is so interesting to me. I, I, when I look back at my past, I was very much a people pleaser at times and, you know, wanted to fit in and do what other people were doing. Uh, So there definitely was some of that. And it was just like, oh, okay, this is, I guess, what we do now. Like we're, you know, sophomores in high school and yeah, we sneak beers from our parents. And that's, it's just, it was just a rite of passage and just assumed that that's what I would do. And I went along with that assumption of this is what we do um, really until I stopped drinking, (laughs) which was um, four years ago, but, and it, and it got, it just, I never really sort of separated drinking and why I was drinking. Looking back, I had a lot of social anxiety and I very much would drink in order to, um, in, you know, it's like, oh, we're going to a fraternity party at college. Okay. Well, let's get a buzz on. Like it was, it was just a, I never, I, it was just a no brainer for me. Like I, of course I'm going to drink. And of course, and it helped me, you know, feel better about what I was doing, about the people I was around everything. So that's, that's where it all starts. Is that your first question? <laughs> it started. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, right from the beginning, it was sort of like a relief in the body. You were like, yes, this, this is for me. Yeah. Well, it, it was a little scary at first. I remember thinking I, I, in, um, when I was younger, I had some, some trauma at home and was very much, um, I had an eating disorder and so the alcohol was sort of like when I look back at when I was 17 and 18, I was like, oh, that's so interesting how alcohol sort of came in. I think I probably would have drank more if I wasn't also using eating to manage my feelings (laughs) and restricting because alcohol wouldn't have been restricting. So I was I was very much sort of on that that cycle. And yes, alcohol, hundred percent. Your your naked mind really resonates with me because it is it it allowed me to not have a naked mind that I didn't I could you know just put all these layers around my mind and I didn't have to think about if I was nervous or if I was you know um, hanging out with people I didn't enjoy or any of or doing things that I wasn't proud of. It was just like oh we'll have another drink and um, I was I was an interesting drinker in that I was very controlled in my drinking. Um, definitely still coming from that eater, eating disordered behavior of like, I needed to be a good girl. And so it, it was like this dichotomy, like to be a good girl, I needed to drink because that's what everyone else was doing. But to be a good girl, I also couldn't, like if I drank too much to impact my next day, then that was a problem. And and so I, I, I really 
would have a limit that I would stick to, not in a kind way, but in a very rigid way, because I need to get up and do my run the next morning. Or it was interesting to look back. I was like this little like slave driver, like, okay, you can drink to get through tonight. And then we're still getting up tomorrow to run. So you better stop before you black out, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what, how did it sort of progress? What happened next? Well, yeah. And I, I, I just, it, it's sort of unique in that I really was doing it. I started doing it socially and then it was helping me through college. And then as I became a mom in my early twenties, it just sort of fell off. It wasn't something since it wasn't modeled in my house growing up, it wasn't something I thought of when like on a weeknight, but definitely with my husband, we might have a beer or two if we were, so it, you know, it was a very mild drinking. Um, and then um, when I went through a divorce with that husband, <laughs> alcohol was used as a weapon. Interestingly, that he said that I was an alcoholic. So I need, I stopped cold turkey a day and just because he, in, in an effort, you know, as, as divorces sometimes get ugly, it was just like, oh, she's an alcoholic. So I stopped so that he couldn't have more custody with the kids, um, which wasn't a problem because I had, you know, it was interesting. He's like using this label and um, we, you know, that wasn't a situation. So what was interesting about it was that I just stopped and that was probably two or three years. And then when I started again, um, when I started dating in my mid forties, I, I really was like, oh, okay, now you have to start drinking again because that's what grown up people do. Like this, <laughs> this is just what they do. And if you want to find a date, like it was very much linked in um, being social and and all of that, like all that, of course you have to drink and of course you have to do these things. And I can remember even um, drinking more because I was like, oh, okay, well, I need to learn more about this kind of wine or that just because that's what civilized people do. So it was interesting because it was still coming from this insecurity in myself that I wasn't good enough, that I, you know, somehow needed to put up this picture of like, this is what adults do. They drink. And so I better make sure that I'm doing that. Um, and then at some point it got to being where, um, where I just, I very much used it. I, I, I became aware that I was definitely using it for that buffer for that, like, oh, okay, I'm going on a new date. Well, let's go have a drink. And, and that would help me sort of just ease the, the flow of it all. Um, I also started to notice around that time that I was able to drink less. It was almost like I was metabolizing alcohol so much faster. It was almost like I was getting hungover as I was drinking. Like I would have, you know, I sort of had my limit of like, okay, three beers is about what I can have and then be fine the next day. And then I was noticing it was two beers. And then I was noticing it was, it was that old thing, you know, like one wasn't enough, two was too many. Like literally when I had two, I was like, I think I'm hungover now. Like what is going on? And so I was noticing it physically. And then I was in a new relationship with a man who is now my husband. And I, I started noticing it behaviorally where everything would be fine. And I would be out and we would be having a nice time. And then I would just pick a fight over something. Like it was just like, Mm, you know, why are you wearing blue? Or like, it, it's just the, and, I, and I'm a life coach. So I work with people and their thoughts and their feelings and their actions and being intentional and mindfulness and all this. And then here I am in my free time, like putting a substance in my body that made me act in a way that I was like, who is that? Like what's coming out of your mouth, Susie? <laughs> and that is then what got me to, to start and, 
that and reading some books like yours and um, Quit Like a Woman got me looking at alcohol differently where I was like, what is happening from a more feminist standpoint? Like, oh my gosh, okay, hold on. Like I have just bought this whole thing, hook, line and sinker and, you know, am here like thinking that I need to drink to be this sort of woman and, and see a lot of people that I'm coaching around me drinking wine at soccer events and all of that to buffer and to, you know, um, move into that. And I, I just, just was like, well, why don't I just stop for now? It was one particular fight. It was my husband's birthday <laughs> and we got into a fight about wontons. And I, I don't even like wontons. Like it was just, I look back and I'm like, what is good? But at that moment, you know, we like stormed off, we walked home alone, like separately. And I just remember on that walk, being, and on that walk, I felt like I almost, there were two weird men. So there was like this moment of fear that I'm like, oh my God, I'm alone. And I might get attacked now. Like, this is the dumbest thing ever. And I was like, it's all because of alcohol, Susie. Like you would not be walking home alone if you had not had those beers. You know, the wontons had nothing to do with it, basically. And I just started like, okay, let's just stop for a week. Like, let's just see, or, or you know, and, and then it was like, okay. And then this is, yeah, I feel better. And Let's just stop for a little while. I didn't discern, I didn't define what a little while was, but it definitely helped me to not say that I can never drink again. I think that would have been too rigid for me, especially with my rigid past. I was trying to let go of some of my rigid past, but to be able to say like for right now, let's try this because this isn't working. Like this isn't something that you like. Yeah, I love that. And I love that it was, um, it's so interesting how so often the rigidity keeps us stuck and not even trying. Right. So I love that perspective. Yeah. And then I did have moments of, um, missing it. Like I had like the, cause we often drank on weekends. We didn't really drink during the day unless we were on, um, during the week, unless we were on a vacation, but I had moments of like, Oh, it's Friday. Cause he was still drinking. So moments of like, Oh, you know, we're going out, he's having a beer. Um, and, and missing it. And, having to get clear. I, I missed it socially. I missed it sexually. Like it was something that was just like, it would just let me as a woman sort of like turn off my brain. And that, that was a big frontier for me to be like, Ooh, okay. You know, that like it was, I, my brain was definitely telling me that sex was more fun with alcohol, that going out was more fun with alcohol, that, um, you know, events with friends was more fun with alcohol. And, and it just got to one of my things that I work with with coaching is like, choose your hard. And so it was hard for me to say no in the short term, but it gave me long-term ease versus, you know, long, short-term ease of like, okay, I'll have the drink and long-term hard. And that is, that really helped me really getting clear of like, yeah, this is a short-term hard. You need to breathe. You need to resist, you know, the earth, like, let's just try to feel this feeling and talk back to your brain. This is a short-term moment. This will pass. And how good are you going to feel tomorrow? And how good are you going to feel next week? Um, and, and that sort of the naked mind again, back with the sex was like, like, I, who do I want to be? I'm, you know, at this point I'm 52. When I stopped drinking, I was, I was, I guess, 48. Um, but I was like, the way I'm going, I'm just going to be adding more and more layers onto who I am. And that's, that's not what I want. I want to be more and more me, not less and less me. Mm -hmm. so yeah. Tell me more about unpacking the the sex thing. Cause I know it's such a tough thing for people. Yeah, it really was a, um, 
I mean, it, it goes like back in my first marriage, I, I was very much in that role. And this goes deep also with the alcohol and the feminist part about like how we women are programmed. We women are programmed to be desireless, that we are there as a sort of tool for men to meet their sexual needs. And, and that very much, I grew up outside of Boston. So it was like Puritan culture, not that my parents were very religious, but it was very much that like, I am there to meet the needs of a man. And so in that, I never really was sexual. I, we had sex. I had three kids with my husband, but I, it was not, a, it was not anything that I felt embodied in my self as a female body. And so then when I divorced and started dating and met my now husband, that very much changed. Alcohol very much was that lubricant that let me sort of put my brain on hold and all that messaging that like, you're a bad girl and like, you can't ask for what you want. And all of that. And, and even just being able to like turn off my brain from like, you have laundry to do to get back into my body. Alcohol helped with that. And I did miss alcohol in, in bed. I mean, it is that thing that like a naked mind sometimes is a harder way to live. It is like I, my husband now doesn't drink either. And we often are like, yeah, remember the days when like we were feeling like this and we could just go have a beer and like pretend that everything that that was totally fine. And it's like, right now we have to feel our freaking feelings and like do that sort of work. And so, you know, with, with sex, it was the same sort of thing that it was just, I, I, I like, I, I'm very much like, oh, well, this is an opportunity. <laughs> so I like growing. I like learning. I like self-actualizing. So as long as I sort of put it in that frame and didn't get stuck in my like victimy mindset, like, wow, wow, like it's going to be worse without it. I had to believe that it was going to get better without it. And that, that took some, some sort of like mental leaps at times, but I had committed to not drinking. So I, and I was not going to not have sex with my husband. So um, somehow I had to get the two of them to work. <laughs> Well, that's, that's awesome. So tell me more about like the, the choose your hard, um, like what specifically, you know, has that sort of meant for you in this journey? Yeah, it, it really is in this, you know, recognizing I, as your work does too, I recognize, I, I recognize we have two big drivers in our brain. I call them the adult brain and the child brain. And the child brain is the one that was like, I drink or I candy or I want, you know, it's, it's just that little unregulated and it's very strong and it's such a toddler in your friggin' head. And then we have the adult brain that's like, and we're not going to have candy right now because that won't ruin our dinner. And I think of that adult brain as I always have power when I make decisions with that adult brain, when I'm not, you know, around alcohol, if we're talking about that. So if I, you know, in the morning, I'm like, okay, I'm, you know, and, and tonight we're going to that event and I'm not going to drink because how am I going to feel tomorrow? And I, I do it in, it, it's different than I used to do it when I was younger in a more restrictive way. I do it in an empowering way. So I look at that future me and think of what's best for her. So I use my adult brain to make the decision of like long-term, what's that like best case for that adult Susie? Like, you know, to be in an intimate relationship with her husband and not need alcohol to enjoy it and to be able to go out and not get in fights about wontons. Okay. And then that little brain to, you know, in the moment is like, no, you need it. And it gives me a lot of good, <laughs> it's like, it's really going to help here. And, you know, dancing is better with alcohol and all that. And just to, first of all, to be aware, I'm sort of like, okay, that's my child brain. I get it that you want that. And we've made this decision is helpful for me. And then also the choose your card of the short-term discomfort of resisting an urge, any urge, food, alcohol, shopping, you know, the things that sometimes 
I would substitute when I stopped drinking, maybe I would substitute, okay, I'll shop or I'll eat. Resisting that urge in the short term for the long-term gain and recognizing what really is hard. It's it's hard to wake up the next morning and need to have a conversation with your husband because you lost your bleep over wontons. It's hard to, you know, wake up the next morning and feel icky and, you know, you know, I'm I'm in perimenopause. And so to have any sort of like, you know, alcohol does not help any of that. Um, and to feel worse in my body and to have worse aging. So it's like in the short term moment, I'm thinking it's hard to say no to the alcohol. But what's really hard and what helped me get clarity on is like the real hard is that long term stuff. Like it's hard to say no to the, you know, the donut or the the drink or the shot, you know, the chocolate martini. But it's harder for me to put on my favorite pants and I can't button them up. Like I and it's like, okay, so I'm going to try to use some of my tools and breathe deep and, you know, in the moment to resist the urge. That was also helpful too, to, to get really clear on what it felt like in my body when I was having an urge um, to, to drink and, and to just try to turn off my brain that was telling me you should, but more in my body. What does this feel like? Okay. It feels a little tight in my chest and I'm feeling it a little in my head. And, and at first I just sort of started with like 10 seconds of just sitting with it. Like, just like, let's see what this is like. Almost like, you know, if I stub my toe, I'm like, Ooh, what does that feel like? Like, let me bring my attention there. And Hmm, that's interesting. This was like, okay, let me see. Like, what is it like having an, an urge to drink feel like? Because it, I felt it physically in my body. And that would help me detach a little from this like urgency that my child brain is like, you have to have it now. And I was like, okay, actually I'm just having this like, <laughs> feeling it's going to pass. I know this isn't going to last for, you know, 24 hours from now, it's not going to be here. It might come back, but that, that was very helpful. Oh, I love that. I was having a similar experience of part of that, where I was actually just like, we were taking my son skiing for his birthday and I was the one going to get this, the tickets. So I was waiting in line to get the tickets. And I was not in my ski clothes. I'd like left the, the, you know, Airbnb was waiting in line. So it's very cold. I was very unprepared and I was sitting there and I was like, okay, this line is long and it will end. And my husband will pick me up and the car will be warm. And so I'm mentally like, mm, yeah, dealing with being cold. And yeah. I noticed in this moment that I'm like, wow, I am really good at mentally dealing with physical discomfort. Like physical discomfort is something that mentally for me, if I'm like, okay, I can connect this feeling in my body to being cold. And I know that there's an end and I know that it will, you know, and I was like, it's so fascinating because when I think of emotional discomfort, including something like a craving, which is purely emotional at its core, like there's some physical to it, but especially if it's over like 24 to 48 hours, you're really talking about an emotional experience and something like a craving or something like anxiety, we don't, we don't consider it the same way. We're not sitting there saying, Hey, my body chemistry is having a reaction in this moment. My biology yeah. is acting. And even if I don't know the exact cause, like it's cold outside and I'm not dressed right. I can also still say like, okay, it will end. It will pass. Let me notice it. Let me be here with it. Let me, you know, not resist it. And so, yeah, I really like that idea of um, just like allowing it and not resisting because it is, 
in my experience, incredible to when we lean into something, whether it's a craving or whether it's sadness or whether it's an emotion that we've been trying to resist, mm-hmm. it, it's almost never as intense. Even when I've like let myself lean into like the really ugly cry and just mm-hmm. you know, let it all out. It almost never, I think it's going to last for two days. It usually maybe is eight minutes, maybe 10. And then I'm like, okay. I mean, that's the thing that I find a lot with, with my clients when we're dealing with emotional things is like, oh, I don't want to feel it because we're going to go down that deep, dark hole. But the reality is, is what we resist persists. So we make that hole bigger and deeper, the more we resist it. So it's just like, oh, let's, you know, okay, we're sad that our dog died. Let's feel that like where, and, and, and one of the things that you said with the cold is, you know, we have to discern between like our head and our body. So your body is feeling cold and that's, and it's like, okay, this is, but your head is like, and this is urgent right now because, you know, like your head is literally thinking you're going to die. I mean, that's what our brains do. They are like so committed to the present moment. They're like, no, you have to have that wine or like, and we just have to do exactly what you said, which is, which takes skill, but in planning, but like taking that breath and being like, hold on, this is going to pass. I'm going to be in a car. Like, I'm not going to be in this line until tomorrow. You know, <laughs> it's like, I will be in a, I will be in a car again. I will be warm. Same thing with alcohol. This will pass. And if we can get out of our head and feel like it, I mean, it's, it's both because we're sort of like when we're, when we're in it, we're in it. And we're just like, so committed to that. It's like, when we're that toddler, we're so committed to that story. But if there is that opportunity and that's what, you know, so many experts say in the mindfulness space, it's like the power comes in the pause between the feeling and the action. So it's like, you're feeling it. And then like you did, you're feeling cold and maybe your brain is like, Oh my God, this is trouble. This is awful. This is horrendous. And you take a breath and you're like, yes. And in probably 120 minutes or less, I'll be in a warm car, you know, and this shall pass, um, is super helpful. And then also just feeling it because any feeling, whether it's, whether it's sparked from a physical sensation of, you know, actual urge or biological, you know, craving for something or an emotional reaction, like a thought, we're going to have the feeling sensation in our body. So it's like feeling, you know, if I sit here and think the thought that I'm sad, you know, my son is back at college, I can feel sadness in my body the same way that, you know, if, if someone like I, I, I can feel physical hunger in my body, but it, it's, it's, we often don't think that like, how do you feel a feeling? You actually feel it. You get out of your friggin' head. Cause when we find that we're in those dark spirals, it's that we're too much in our head. Yeah. We're just like thinking and we're thinking more and more about how sad we are. And it's like, <laughs> we get it. We're sad. Let's now feel the sad. Like I totally, but it is that allowance is the word that you said. And that was something for me too. It's like, yeah, okay. Like, yeah, of course, like there is, you know, I get it that you want to have a drink before you go out to dance with your friends and totally real. And we're not going to do that right now because long-term you're going to feel better and you're going to be proud and you aren't going to be arguing with your friends over the song that you're dancing to. Like, let's, let's do it. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So back to your, um, your journey. So what, what happened next? I have not drinking since then. Um, and I have, it, it is not something that I crave anymore. Like I, I, this is the freedom that I love is that I, you know, I don't want it anymore. Like I, I that's what I love. It's, it's just that it's no longer, like it doesn't even come up. We've, it, my, my husband stopped drinking about eight months after me. 
Um, and then about eight months after that, we took a trip. When we came home from the trip, someone said, well, did you guys stay sober on the vacation? And we like sort of looked at each other and we're like, I don't know, did we? And we're like, oh my God, like it wasn't even an issue. Like it was, it was just like, yeah, we did. But like, it literally never came up. Like we're in freaking Lisbon, you know, Europe and people are drinking all around us, but it was just, it just was, I mean, it's, it was similar to like people smoke all around me. I'm not like, oh my God, I need a cigarette. Or if I see you know, people, um, it, it was just interesting bike riding. I'm not a bike rider. I'm not like, oh, it, it's just, there's no impulse, which is so freeing. Um, there are moments, like I said, when I will have, I'll be having an experience. Like I will be missing a son or I will be, um, upset about something Or sometimes I'm like, yeah, you know what? Like if I could just do like a keg stand right now, like that, that would eliminate this for like 10 minutes, you know? But I'm very aware that like that's all it would be. And then in 10 minutes, I have the same friggin' feeling. Plus now my body feels awful. So it's, and you know, it's this, um, it's a freedom that I feel now of just not wanting it and not looking for it and not missing it. Yeah. Feels Beautiful. Wonderful. And um. So how has it been sort of socially? Well, I'm an introvert, first of all, which I need to, I need to say, but socially, I, I really, um, I think I took this whole thing as a more feminist issue and I work, I'm a mental health coach for women over 40. And so I really find a lot of like boom in that like leadership role where I am, I'm not one to be like, Oh, I'm not drinking. I'm like, Hey, I'm not drinking. Like, I just want to, I just want to normalize this. And I have, I have drinking the other Kool-Aid now of how alcohol really is not helpful for us. And I just want to be out there and be like, it is so possible. It is so possible to go to Europe, not drink. It is so possible to be at a social event and other people around you are drinking and other people are questioning you about drinking. And you know, that's more about them than me. And, you know, mostly I've had very little pushback. Um, it might be because I'm just not open for it. I'm like, you know, <laughs> and also, I also am aware that if they're pushing back at me, it's because there's, there's something in them that they're sensitive about, or they're, you know, that they're like, if they're like, why aren't you drinking? What's wrong with you? I'm like, nothing's wrong with me. Do you want to talk about, you You know, do you want to schedule a session? Because <laughs> it's like, um, so socially, no, I, I would say that, I mean, I want to be honest and transparent that I'm not staying out as late. I don't have as much tolerance for hanging around, like hanging around drunk people is not, I, I just am more, I'm less of a people pleaser. So I'm much more like I'll go out and I'll go in Australia. They have lots of fun clubs that have like live, you know, music or whatever. And I'm more in touch with me. Alcohol used to numb me. So I would just probably stay for three hours longer than I wanted to. Um, not that I was coerced, but more than like my authentic self wanted to. And now I'm just much more in tap where I'm like, okay, it's good. I've heard enough. I'm time ready to go home or, you know, okay. Everyone else is now spitting and drooling, like spitting on me and drooling. <laughs> I'm good. Um, and that's my friend groups have changed because the, I no longer, we no longer bond over alcohol. Um, and we're no longer, you know, we're like what, when I was, when I was in my forties and in that dating period, we very much, I would get together and we're like, let's make cocktails. You know, we'd make this certain cocktails and that was something to do, but there wasn't much, um, as much depth there. So, so that went away. 
but again, it's, it's that sort of like, it's okay. And, and I have ways that I interact with people and there are lots of people out there that are not drinking is, is the thing that I want people to see. There are a whole lot of people that are drinking too. I'm not. <laughs> right. Right. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Like we can uh, find both. Um, and then, you know, so you have, you have how many kids? Five sons. Five sons. Wow. Five we're sons. a blended family. My husband has two. I had three. And so now we're like the Brady Bunch with five. Mm -hmm. And so how have you, as especially as they leave the house, how have you navigated, you know, talking to your, your kids about alcohol? Yeah, I, um, I got my start as a coach, as a parent educator. And so I, I, I had a, one of my main things I, you know, I helped parents, parent teens. And one of the main things is to have boundaries and clear, concise communication. And so we always had that around alcohol in my house. I, I actually was raised in Wayland, Massachusetts, which is where MAD started, the Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Cause So it was very, like for our house, even when I was still drinking, there was there was just a no drinking and driving. And with my kids, I just made clear that, you know, was that we would put the Uber app on their phone or there were three of us moms that we we told the other you know kids were like call us at any time we won't ask you any questions we really put the safety of them first um you know come home we'll come pick you up and we can talk about it tomorrow was the kind of thing um so that was always very clear in my house growing up that there was a zero tolerance for drinking and driving i very much was like my kids are going to drink like that was sort of like my old mindset like this is just what happens because when i was raising kids mostly i was still drinking and so I just had rules around that too, that, um, you know, that I did not buy alcohol for kids. My kids did not go to unsupervised parties. Um, I knew they were buying alcohol and drinking it, but I was, I was trying to sort of with my boundaries, put containers around what I felt was safe while they were still sort of like cell phones. It was something that I figured they're, they're going to come into contact with. And I, I knew from my way of upbringing that if I overly restricted it, that was not the way to get them to, you know, kids aren't like, oh, okay, mom, let me do it. And and <laughs> they're like going off on the side and doing it. So I was trying to be open and honest and talking to them about, you know, safe drinking and learning about how to drink in that way. Um, when I became, and now mind you, I was, I was doing the same as my parents. I, I don't drink, you know, I wasn't drinking at dinner. So modeling my drinking, um, and I don't know, they might've seen me a little tipsy at like a new year's party, like after one beer, you know, but it's sort of that like, oh, silly mom type thing. Um, and then when I became sober, it just is more of a modeling. I stay out of their business. All five sons are on their own journeys. Three of them, um, have at times gone through moments where they're like not drinking or trying not to drink. I, I, you know, looking at my sons, I think they, as much as one can have a healthy ish relationship with alcohol like there is definitely they're all in their well my youngest is 19 but the rest of them are in their 20s and in Australia drinking age is 18 um and so they all you know are in that culture where their friends are drinking where there's a lot of pressure on them to drink and to, um all of that and so I'm just here to support and love them and to model what I view as helpful some of them have asked you know what do we do when our friends are saying this and that's a great fun conversation to point out again that your friends are asking because your friends are having you know concerns about it from them um from their standpoint so does that answer your question 
Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm always just curious how people navigate that conversation. And I think it's, you know, the principle, I think that you're kind of circling around, which I really feel is very true in my parenting as well. My oldest is only 15 and I also have like a six and a 12 year old. So it's a different stage in life. But like the principle that I've really thought through is keep them talking to me, yeah. right? So yeah. how can I facilitate that conversation? Because if if somehow they feel like they're going to be blamed by me, shamed by me, critiqued by me, in trouble by me, then they will stop talking to me. Mm -hmm. And I just remember that from my own, you know, childhood and just feeling like, you know, there was things you could talk to your parents about and things you couldn't talk to your parents about. And I want nothing to be off the table because the only chance I have of any influence is if they're willing to talk. So even when you said, you know, they ask you the questions and I had a, a situation with that with my 15 year old, like one of his friends brought a coffee mug full of um, tequila to, to school and mm -hmm. like, this is what was going on. And what do you think? And I was like, well, I think you should have a lot of compassion for that kid. Cause like, how, how's that happening in his house? Yeah. You know? Like what is going on? Well, and friend? you just touched on something so important, the shame like that is, you know, shaming our kids or you shouldn't do this or you should do that. That is not, it, it doesn't get us the long-term behavior that we're looking for. It doesn't raise those resilient kids. And so what we're really trying to do when we're moving them from teenage into launching is getting them to get that critical thinking skill and moving more into the problem solving, not having us do all the thinking for them like we did when they were 10 and under, but 10 to 25 is when we're trying to sort of brain share and get that you like they can tap into our brain. What do you think, mom? And but we're really trying to get them to think and make decisions. And they're like, what do you think about bringing a you know mug full of tequila? And another thing that I like to point to is whenever we're talking about relationships, I you know if we've done any work with relationships, we know triangles are bad. Like sort of you know like we don't want a triangle for you know so you have a son and maybe your son and his dad get into arguments. And if you get in that argument and you're like, that's just nonsense. Triangles create drama. It's just drama all around. Same thing with alcohol. And I like, like we want straight lines in relationships. So I always think like I have my son and then they have alcohol and I want their relationship with alcohol to have nothing to do with me. I don't want them to be drinking because they are like, screw you, mom. And I don't want them to be drinking because they're like, oh, mom will be happy. Like I, I want, I'm, I don't want to be a part of that relationship that just adds drama I want them to see oh I drank these are the consequences of my drinking mom's not coming in to save me you know and or like oh it's my choice to drink it's just it's it's much cleaner that way with anything and so that's something that I'm always like I'm there as that resource and like the brain share type thing but um I am not gonna get involved in all nitty-gritty in that way yeah yeah and and I think that when we uh when kids feel from us that we trust them to make their own decisions mm -hmm. and that we're there for them when we're asked. Yeah. They're going to make mistakes. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I totally trust them. And I, I know there is no perfect kid out there. Just like there's no perfect mom. Hello. So I'm like, you're going to make mistakes. Totally yeah. fine. Like, let's talk about how that happened. Oh my gosh. Like I've had, I mean, they've called me. for those. So I'm like, okay, so what's going on? Like what happened there? You know, tell me in the same way that I sort of looked at my wonton and thing was like, see what happened there? And I didn't have someone shaming me. I was just like, oh, look at that. Like that was your choice. Like you drank that and then got into a fight with the man that you love over a food that you don't even really enjoy. So like in that curious mindset, that's what I want for my kids too. Is that like, oh, okay. So let's, let's look at that. Like, how did that happen? 
what's going on there and not shame. Like, of course these things happen, but really getting out of that, that triangle with them with alcohol. Yeah. And I think, so the first principle I really feel like you're, you're hitting on is this idea of keep them talking. And the second principle I think you're hitting on is this idea of recognizing our absolute inability to change anybody, but ourselves anyway. And so like when we, when we come from that posture, we can put down, like you say, so much drama and so much intensity and so much anxiety, because then we're not pressuring slash blaming ourselves based on the outcome of whatever happens with them. And if we're not blaming ourselves, we're much nicer to be around because inevitably if we, if we have some internal, like, oh, I should have done stuff differently. They wouldn't be doing this. Yeah. That leaks into the relationship in this way that makes them not feel safe with you and not keep talking to you. And so, um, yeah, I really appreciate that perspective. It's great. Um, so let well, me, and that, I mean, that is just, that's like a whole other episode. Yeah. But the one thing there that I just, one little blurb that I like saying is that experiences teach advice doesn't. So it's like the words coming out of our mouth are like, blah, blah. whereas experiences them like them having the experience or them saying no, or like, that's what we need to remember as parents is that them have the experience and then come to us that feedback yeah experience teaches advice doesn't and they yeah they might not come to you with the experience if if you don't feel safe to them and so i think it's really beautiful so oh amazing susie so let me ask you the question Um, if you were going to go back in time to a version of yourself in the past what would you tell her about what life is like now i would go back to my college self and I, I first would tell her like, you're okay, Susie. Like you don't like just be you, you don't need the alcohol to, I, I very much was in this thinking I need to be the right person and do the right thing. And just, you know, I think I'd tell her that maybe try some things without alcohol. It actually feels better on that side and it feels freer and, um, you'll feel more confident all the things that you think you need alcohol for. It's actually al- without alcohol. It, all of that is better confidence, self actual, like all of that feeling, self-respect, taking care of yourself. So I would, I would see if she would listen. (laughs) (laughs) Like they're like, what would you tell your 20 year old self? I'm like, my 20 year old self wouldn't listen because experiences learn advice doesn't, but that's all right. I would try. (laughs) Right. Right. Exactly. And that's the truth of it is like, we might never listen. So. Right. But I'd try. But awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for coming on and thank you for being here with me and sharing your story. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you for having this show. This is such a resource. Motivates me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you're ready to see how this naked mind can help you on your personal health and wellness journey and want to learn more, go to thisnakedmindpodcast.com to learn what your next best step is. Again, that's thisnakedmindpodcast.com. We have all of our free resources, programs, social links, and more available for you there. Plus, if you have your own naked life story to share, you can submit it there as well. Until next week, stay curious.